Okay, we're going to read from Exodus 35, reading in regard to the materials for the tabernacle. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its covering, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts and bases. The ark with its poles and the atonement cover and the curtain that shields it. The table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence. The lampstand that is for light with its accessories, lamps and oil for the light, the altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, the curtain for the doorway at the entrance to the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the bronze basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases and the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the courtyard and their ropes, the woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron, the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold, jewellery and all kinds of brooches, earrings, rings and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple or scarlet yarn or fine linen or goat hair, ram skins dyed red or hides of sea cows brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord and everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple or scarlet yarn or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had, all, and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on ephod and breastpiece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord freewill offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Thanks, Norm. Just wanted to apologise that uh, 
it's a bit tricky to fit your beams of acacia wood into the offering bag each Sunday. Uh, you're bringing those. If you need to put them around the back, they can be put there. If you've got any yarn, we can, we can do that as well. Jewellery, on the other hand, does fit into the offering bag, so feel free. The investments of a hard-working man skyrocketed one day, must have been Dogecoin, and he was confronted with a wonderful dilemma. What shall I do with all of this money? And so he thought real hard and then said to himself, I know, I'll, I'll buy myself a few treats, I'll uh, help the family out, I'll give 10% to the church and then I'll invest the rest of it all over again. Uh, you know, property, stocks, Bitcoin, gold, the works, you name it, and I'll be set for years. Then I can retire early, buy whatever I want, treat the family as much as possible, take it easy and just enjoy a long, cruisy life. But that very night in the early hours of the morning, as he scrolled through his different investments, he suffered a massive cardiac arrest and died. A week later, a few people gathered around for a graveside service and there on the tombstone, instead of his name, was four giant letters which spelled out one single word and that word was fool. Fool. That's just a a slight retelling of Jesus' parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. And it is so interesting, I think, how directly that parable applies today especially to this very common ambition of early retirement. Everybody's talking about early retirement, young or old, and that's effectively what this guy in the parable does. He, he goes for early retirement. And yet God made us to work, to be productive, to use our gifts and talents and to serve others. We are not meant to do nothing. And so unless early retirement is about creating an opportunity to volunteer and to serve in other ways, it is a fool's ambition. And that's, of course, saying nothing about the sin of hoarding, which is also in that parable. Because what I really want to highlight in that retelling is that this man tithed. He gave his 10%. He ticked that box every week. And yet he was no less a fool. And if you, like me, are comfortable in your tithing habit, uh, ticking the box and then moving on, then I want to challenge you and me this morning by talking about tithing. But before I do, just so you know what the plan is, we're looking at the question today, what can I give? And it includes two other similar questions. How can I give? In what way? And how much can I give? To what extent? And so we'll look at each of these questions this morning, but in reverse order, starting with how much. And if there's one thing that we Reformed Christians have been good at in the past, it's emphasising the need to tithe. To tithe. And maybe that's especially uh, Dutch Reformed Christians, perhaps. And the tithe, or the giving of 10%, is an Old Testament principle 
which is commanded in places such as Leviticus. So in chapter 27, we read, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. And every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. And it's good to recognize that word holy. It's, it's a set apart thing for God, for uh, His purposes, for His glory. And it's a bit like uh, what the Sabbath was. It was set apart, it was holy to God. And that's a bit like a time tithe, if you think about it. And this tithing principle is one that we've applied today often without any real gospel interpretation, just direct. And where we question other Old Testament laws and say, well, do we have to follow those? Uh, And we do that even with something like the Sabbath, which is in the Ten Commandments. We say, oh yes, we've got to do the Sabbath and, you know, we don't really know what that looks like. The, The tithe law we accept without any question. But if you look a little bit deeper in both the Old and New Testaments, you find that tithing is really an incomplete picture. So in the Old Testament, the people gave more than their tithe. For example, in the passage that we just read in Exodus, the people were donating to the work of the tabernacle and giving what they were willing. And that was completely unrelated to their tithe. Or during harvest time, the people were were told to leave some of the gleanings in the corners of the field and in other ways so that the poor and the foreigners could gather them. People like Ruth, we read in that story. And again, that was separate to the tithe. That was about looking after the needy. And then in the New Testament, the tithe is hardly ever mentioned. And when it is mentioned, it is in the form of a negative rebuke, such as when Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. And he's condemning their religious, ritualistic giving in contrast to heartfelt generosity. And the point is, there is so much more to generosity than just tithing. In fact, tithing, when you think about it, can look a lot more like taxes, can't it? Like taxes than actual giving. And in many ways, that was part of the purpose for for ancient Israel. They were a theocratic nation, uh, which means that they were civically centred on the temple and on the worship of God, and they were structured around the work of the priests and the Levites, who, of course would benefit and live off the tithes and the sacrifices. And we might see a little bit that way with church as well, mightn't we? Members are expected to tithe in order to sustain the very organisation that they are members of. It's a bit like a membership fee or a tax. And of course, people like myself may be living off that. But that's not really what the giving is all about, is it? In a different approach, I might say that a tenth is the bare minimum that we should give. And that's why it's there in the Bible, that it's the bare minimum. But even that misses the point. Because again, it's, it's asking the question, how much should I give, instead of how much can I give? Should is all about religion and legalism. It's what the Pharisees were obsessed over. 
What should we do? And it's what the prophets would condemn over and over. The people were bringing their tithes to the temple. They were giving that 10%, but they ignored justice and mercy and the plight of the vulnerable. And the prophets cut sick at them for that. The word can, on the other hand, is all about generosity. And that's what was happening here in this passage when the people contributed to the tabernacle. Whatever they were willing so excited to to create, to help make this place for the worship of God, for the centre of their nation. And it's what was happening in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, which is all about Paul gathering a collection for the Macedonian churches. What people were willing to give, on and on, he says. And so the Old Testament principle of tithing, on its own, is incomplete. And when Jesus comes, he brings a new gospel principle, as we saw last week. And it's not 10%, it's actually 100%. It's everything. It's all of who we are. Remember, Jesus literally emptied himself. He bankrupted himself and made himself poor so that we could be rich. And we had to have the same attitude as Jesus. Not focused on the religious action of of giving, and that word should, but actually focused on the gospel attitude of generosity. And the word can, what can I bring? Consider this snippet from the Gospels. You may know it well. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. It makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? She gave way less than the others in quantity, but way, way more than the others in generosity. A gospel amount, everything she had. Or as we read about the early church in Acts uh, chapter 4, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. It's a great reminder, by the way, in this passage that uh, often in our Western culture, we think that finances and giving is a private thing. It's just between me and God. But this shows us that actually it's a, a community thing. Generosity is for the whole church to encourage each other, to share with each other. And this was radical generosity. Radical. It scares us to to read about this, but it's incredible. And yes, this was a different culture, and no, we can't just apply the exact same thing directly, but we are called to this radical generosity. 
the generosity of Christ, a calling that rips us out of the surrounding culture, which is that of greed and selfish ambition, and, and that culture which continually threatens to invade our lives and our families and our church all the time. This gospel generosity stands in stark contrast and it smashes that culture apart, forces people to sit up and take notice. And it all starts with the heart. And that brings me to the second question this morning, which is the how question. How can we give? And the first part of the answer is willingly. Willingly. In that Exodus passage, the word willing uh, is, is used five times. There's no set amount of money or other things that, that were asked for. It was just whatever the people were willing to give. And that's also Paul's main thrust in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Over and over, he talks about willing giving and cheerful giving as opposed to gifts that are begrudgingly given, oh, if I must. He says that willingness is what makes the gift acceptable to God, not the amount, not how much, just your willingness. And willingness can only come from the heart. And it's really what defines generosity, isn't it? Hearts that are willing to give, hearts that are impacted and, and transformed by the gospel of Jesus, He who gave Himself up completely for us, so that in response we surrender everything to Him, because He purchased us. We're redeemed by Him. We belong to Him. And so it's far, far better to have a financially struggling church of poor but generous people who are quietly living out the gospel and helping each other and sharing with each other than it is to have a financially booming church of rich fools with big tithes and a lot of selfish ambition. And don't the prosperity megachurches teach us exactly this reality? Hordes of people filling the pockets of a wealthy pastor, hoping that God will fill their pockets in return because that's what they've been taught by their false teachers. And we often think, yeah, so glad we're not like them. So glad we're not like them here in our humble little Reformed church. But in the grand scheme, we are rich people, aren't we? We are rich people. Our tithes make for a healthy budget. But so often, what we have is an individual thing. Church takes a little part, maybe some other giving here and there. And sometimes it feels like it's, it's money or time that we've got to spare. How often are we giving like the generous widow? How often... How willing are we to dip into the 90%? Isn't that the question? I know it's being frank, it's being pretty direct, but isn't that the question? How often are we willing to dip into the 90? And that brings me to the second answer under this question, is that we need to give sacrificially. 
like Jesus. In the Generosity Project, Vaughan Roberts is quoted saying, you're only really giving when it costs you something. I mean, man, what a challenge is that? When it costs you. For many of us, I think the tithe happens in the background, doesn't it? We budget for it and that, that can cause a bit of pain. But then we set up a recurring transaction and it happens and we often don't even think about it and it's hard to call it sacrificial. Because sacrificial giving causes pain. Whether it's giving up a, a long-planned holiday or a new toy that you've saved up for or reshaping the budget in order to live even more simply for the purpose of helping others, or retiring later than planned, as opposed to earlier. That's costly, isn't it? That's painful to even consider. But here's the thing, as we saw last week, keeping it for yourself actually costs you more. It costs you more. Wealth can distract you, entangle you, and and drag you down. I still remember at this time last year, we were all outraged by the people who were going nuts at the supermarket and grabbing all the toilet paper they could possibly get. We all think, That's, you people are crazy. Stop doing that. It's selfish. But if we stop and we replace that toilet paper mindset, maybe with other things in our lives, we, we start to sort of get a bit uncomfortable because perhaps we do that with our other resources. Wealth has costed people time, relationships, happiness, and sometimes their very soul. There's always a cost. So which cost do we choose? As we said last week, we don't own any of it. From our toilet paper to our houses, we don't own any of it. It all belongs to God and it's all going to be returned to Him one day as well. And so the selfish owner will cling to it right until the grave when it is ripped out of his hands. But the generous steward will surrender it willingly. And when he reaches the grave, find that there is wealth beyond compare. So we've talked about the how and the how much, but now we come back to the the what, or the narrow definition of what. What can I give? And it's worth just a few insights from the Exodus passage, but we'll also continue with the what next time when we look at the where. Where can I give? What causes and purposes? And, you know, it's bigger than church, so what are we looking at there? But one answer from the construction of the tabernacle is quite simply money time and energy. People brought their money, they spent time in order to make things and they worked using energy and skills in order to contribute. It's not just one, it's, it's, it's a holistic view. We've already talked a lot about money and it should not be the only focus. Uh, although there's a reason it gets a lot of attention. Uh, It's been said that money represents the greatest power in us or over us because it's countable, it's savable, and it's exchangeable. So we can measure it, which means we can compare it with others, 
we can gather it, which means we can hoard huge amounts if possible, and we can use it. We can buy anything that we like. Sky's a limit, as long as we have enough. Money is powerful. Perhaps one of the reasons we try to make it only a private matter. But money can also become an easy way out, can't it? You know, we give that so that we don't have to give time and energy, which is more precious. Because whatever you have less of is more precious to you, isn't it? And whatever you have most of is what you're most willing to give. So a first-year uni student, no offence to you guys, you might have more time to give, although you don't really get that picture from talking to them. But perhaps very little money. An empty nester might be the opposite. And the full-timer with 10 kids has none of the above and they're just in that season of giving, uh, receiving, I should say. But see, sacrificial giving might actually mean giving of our more precious and finite commodities. So perhaps that's your time. Helping somebody to move, taking them out for a coffee, leading a ministry at church, even if it hurts. Perhaps sacrificing an hour on Saturday night after a really busy week in order to pray for Sunday and to think about who you might encourage the next day. Taking 15 minutes each day to walk with the Lord. Or maybe it's your energy, your effort. And I want to include relational energy in this because I think that's so important. So if you're an extrovert, there's a good chance you actually gain energy from groups and teams and meetings and gatherings. Uh, It costs you in time, but you kind of love it. And you might sacrifice in order to, to lead those things. But God might also be calling you to give by investing in one person. In the background. Out of the spotlight. And that's a sacrifice. To give up the big group fund in order to just say, I'm going to help this person and disciple this person. If you're an introvert, on the other hand, you might be great at the one-to-one stuff. You know, quietly, tucked away, just quiet catch-ups, helping someone. Although, again, they cost time, don't they? That's a sacrifice. But as an introvert, you might also need to give by leading up the front or by sharing with a bigger group because even introverts can have those gifts too. And it's a sacrifice, sacrificing comfort. That comfort of staying quiet and hidden. So money and energy and time, they can all be given. But then we hear that gospel principle of 100% and we think, that's impossible, I cannot give literally all of my money, energy and time. And that's because it's not all about giving everything for one specific purpose. It's about a lifestyle of generosity. It's bigger, this principle. Think of your home. It's not wrong to use money to go and buy a home, of course not, but how are you generous with your home in opening it up, in sharing it with others? Think about your career. It's not wrong to seek a career and to develop in that and to grow in that, but how are you generous with your career? How can you use it to benefit others, to serve others? It's not wrong to raise a family, of course not, to provide for them. 
But how are you generous with your family and as a family? Do you open up as a family and and help others? Do you teach the family to be generous? It's not wrong to retire from work. But how can you use your retirement generously to serve, to share, to give? And you could ask that question for everything that you do and everything that you have. Sitting in front of the TV for some entertainment, how can you use that generously? This is why we run uh, a while back things like the Film and Worldview course. Yes, enjoy watching a movie, but how can you use that to engage in conversation with people? To point to Jesus. The bottom line is generosity is about a heartfelt willingness to give of yourself in all sorts of ways and contexts, even if it hurts. And again, always replacing the should with the can. It changes everything. How much can I give? How can I give? In what ways? What can I give? Time, money, energy, home, family, work, whatever it is. How and how much of all those different things can I give for the glory of God and for the good of others? I think if we stop and consider it, there are a million and one answers, aren't there? Literally. We just have to be willing. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that this gospel idea of total surrender and the example of Jesus who gives up everything is really hard for us to swallow. It hurts just to think about it. And yet we know deep down, Lord, even if it's just a little part of us, that there is great, great freedom in hearts and minds that seek to adopt Jesus' attitude and to be generous with what we have. We confess that a lot of the time, Lord, things and stuff and time and other things have a, have a hold on us and we don't want to give them up. We want to cling to them. Lord, we just pray that your Spirit will work in us to help us. Not to force our hands, but to transform our hearts. That again, as we said last week, we can find joy in generosity. Lord, we just pray you keep working that in us and apply it to every area of our life. That we might always ask that question, how can we be generous? How can we live in gratitude for what you have done? How can we glorify you and serve others. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.